Amen, amen. Hey, everybody thank John for leading us this morning. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Such a genuine and just uh, easy, easy way of worshiping. Um, but this morning, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to come and walk, walk through the Word and continue in our book study in Galatians. Um, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and jump into Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 25. Um, and this morning, my hope is that you, uh, we, we gather together and that we realize three truths that Paul was writing to the people in Galatia. Uh, this church, these people were Gentile believers, meaning that they once had a, a God or many gods they worshipped. Their ancestors worshipped um, gods that's, that, that called in order to, for sacrifice, um, whether that was through animals or people or children even. Um, so these pagan Gentile believers now that have been redeemed and are found in Christ, Paul was writing to them and reminding them, first of all, that you have freedom. Second of all, that they were one in Christ and lastly, that they are adopted, that they actually have relationship with the Father and with other believers in Christ. Um, and this morning, likewise with us, um, my hope is that we are reminded of our freedom in Christ, that we would realize that we are one with other believers, no matter our skin tone or our economic status. And lastly, that we would be reminded that we were adopted, that we're adopted. So Galatians chapter 3, let's jump in together, um, verse 25. If you do not have a Bible, um, the lyrics are the lyrics. See, I'm a musician. The, uh, the words will be provided on the screen. There we go. All right, here we go. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus, we do love you, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and, and look into the word of God this morning. God, we pray that it would speak. God, we pray that, um, that nothing that is preached or even heard this morning would be outside the parameter of what you intend your word to say. You are so good to us. We love you. We trust you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at um, what it means to be in Christ alone. In Christ alone, there are three promises we, we see here um, that were given to the Galatians and, and also to the Mercy Helians. So here we go this morning. In Christ alone, there's true freedom. In Christ alone, there's true freedom. Um, in verse 25, um, Paul is continuing on, and he had just got finished talking about the law. Uh, the law being that of which was a parameter and a guide for believers uh, and even unbelievers to know their limits and their their, their um what, what appeased God made the heart of God happy. But he says this, now faith has come. We're no longer under this guardian, the guardian being the law. And this writing can be simply explained is that now that faith in Christ Jesus has come, a person is no longer under the law as a tutor. Right? This law was supposed to come in and God used the law to draw people in, unto him. And that was exactly what the law's job was. Um, last week, uh, we saw that the law was a beautiful reminder that we cannot do this alone. For the law-abiding God-fearer, the law was just a tutor, and this law was never intended to be anything more than a temporary means to lead people into the heart of Christ because Christ had fulfilled the law. And now that the law's purpose was fulfilled in Christ, these people could be found in Christ alone. So then that's why we can continue to read here and we see this thought. He says this, so then... Um, for, sorry, for in Christ, in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. Now, 
when it comes to different denominations, I don't know your background, whether um, you were dipped as a child, if you were uh, lipped in the Holy Spirit as a, with baptism, um, which those are messages for Pastor Mike and Ryan to handle. I'll handle this one. They handle that one. Um, but we, we do believe here that um, baptism by immersion is not salvific, meaning it has no saving power, but it's just a true demonstration of what's happened on the inside and expressed outwardly. Um, and there are some other doctrines, if you look on our website, that we do not believe in. But again, that's for them, not me. I just sing. So, um, but this baptism here, sometimes people can get confused when you read the word just straight up. You're like, okay, okay, now, now, you're, this other baptism. I've heard about, like, the water baptism, and, you know, but, like, baptism in Christ. And um, sometimes the Bible, you read it literally, and it's literally what it says. And other times you have to read through the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and say, what does the word really say? And this is one of those times where we just say, it is what, it, it's, it is what it's written. Um, baptism in Christ isn't speaking of the water baptism. It's speaking of a spiritual re-identification. It's talking about a spiritual immersion into the life of Christ, that everything we do, everything that Christ has done is now ours. And Paul would also write in the book of Romans um, to the church in Rome. He says this, um, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. He says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through the baptism into his death in order that Christ might be raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in the newness of life. For we've become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we shall also become in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul's reminding these Roman believers and even us this morning, this is a great mystery that sometimes we can't even like, begin to understand, okay, like, in Christ Jesus, as a believer, I am spiritually and supernaturally, in, in, in a way that transcends time and space, I'm, I'm put to death like Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who now resurrected, live, but Christ lives within me, and I'm now baptized in Christ. And, and we see this when the Father looks at us in our sin, in our death, pre-Christ, he sees a sinner, and our wage is death, Romans would also say. But in Christ, he, he doesn't see the sinner anymore. He sees the freeing Savior, and this is why we can cling so tightly, and why Paul was so confident to write to these Galatian believers, that there was clear freedom in Christ. Yes, there's salvation, there's salvation, the most important, the foundation of our faith. Christ and Christ alone, salvation is there. But there's a freedom because we have opportunity to be immersed. Our identity is redefined. And we're no longer Joe Schmo, but we are Christ Jesus. We're Christ Jesus. Everything that we do, how we look, how we breathe. And Paul reminding these Gentile former pagan worshipers, because these people, again, they would know what it meant to take on an identity within a culture. They would know what it meant. Okay, I have to give up five lambs and you know, smear their blood somewhere. They would know what it meant to take up and put on and be baptized in this because their lives were formerly baptized in their sin. Simply put. For us today, we have to know, and, and the, the, he would affirm this, that Christ is the only truly true Savior that can save and it's a shame in our hearts, and I say our, including myself, how many times I try to go to things that functionally save me, right? It's temporary. It saves the moment. It makes me feel good for a minute. It, 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 it satisfies that appetite 
long enough for me to be hungry the next second. It's, it's incredible how we go to functional salvation. And all the while, Christ is saying, what are you doing? I've done this for you. I've already given you freedom. Be immersed in me. Put on Christ. Paul's reminding these believers, hey, listen, I get it. I know that you understand salvation. I, that, that's great. But now be immersed in him. Put on Christ. And when you put on Christ, you put off self. Speaking about putting on things, middle school was a really, really awkward time for me. I was like five foot two, 565 pounds, right? It was, it was incredible, right? Um, I, I, was, I was a big boy. You know, I, I like my, my groceries. But um, in, in South Georgia, listen, um, I grew up in Thomasville, Georgia. And in, in, in Thomasville, you have two classes of people. You got the really rich folks that live near the plantation, and you got the really po folks. Like, we were so poor, we couldn't even f- finish the OR in our sentence. That's how po we were, right? So... I lived with my, with my great aunt on this, on this farm, and you're like, oh, you lived on a farm. Cotton field was awesome. No, we were Poe, baby. <laughs> That's all we could get. It was inherited from, you know, generation to generation. But um, my aunt, she was, she was a, an amazing woman of God, and um, she would always just try to take care of me. Um, her and my grandfather made a promise. She was my, grand, my grandfather's sister. Made a promise, hey, you know, make sure Nick never goes without. So when it came time with, in, in the messiness of my, my family situation, she took custody of me, raised me, and I call her old camel knees because that woman prayed for me like no other. Like it was amazing. Um, but she would always do this really, 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 really sweet thing and get me the not-so-name-brand clothes, right, <laughs> you know? And um, so I call it GW, GW fashion, like GW, like Goodwill fashion. Like, that's, that's kind of what we – and nowadays, you know, people are like, yeah, I'll go through the thrift store, and I got this awesome shirt. Like, I wish I grew up in your generation. Um, and then she'd also go, when it was really special, like Christmas and birthday, she'd get me the Jacques Pinet. That's J.C. Penney's. Um, you know, and so she, she would really, like, she really made me feel, like, love because she would, you know, give, give me this stuff. And, um, but I began to, like, in middle school, like, in middle school, you begin to, like, notice certain things. And if you're in middle school, you should be noticing these things. Like, certain things begin to smell that didn't smell before. Um, and parents are like, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> trust me, I watched some britches four times, and it still stank. But um, so... I, I, had, I had this, this moment where I began to look around and all my friends um, that I thought were my friends like, began to get in these little subgroups. Like, these, these are my friends since kindergarten, and now you're hanging out with these guys? Um, because they had a little label. It was like a little bird, and um, that, we called that Hollister back in the day. Um, Hollister is still, is still around, but it's not as popular. So all the, all the rich kids would wear um, Hollister, and it was awesome. I was like, I want to be like you. And I was like, Aunt Cheryl, can we go? Uh, there was a band. Um, Back in the day, I cannot remember the name of them. I, I, I was corrected after first service. But um, I had a part of the song, and it goes, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Finch. Some of y'all know that. You're like, oh, that's my song. That's my high school. And she's like, yeah, that's me. Um, so I asked my Aunt Cheryl. I was like, listen, my Aunt Cheryl was Poe and old, so she didn't know a thing. Um, not, not, not if you're old and poor. You don't. That, yeah, thank you. So I, um, I just remember, I was like, hey, Aunt Cheryl, like, what, what is Abercrombie and Finch? She's like, baby, I don't know, but it sounds deadly. I'm like, yeah, um, <laughs> killing my spirit because, like, I wanted to fit in so bad. I wanted to wear what they had. Um, but then I also began to see, like, they had these things, like, to go on their mouth. And one day they were like, hey, Nick, you want some, you know, some street food? I don't know why I ate street food, but the next day they're like, hey, Nick, want some street food? And I'm like, what's going on in your mouth? Like, what is that? They begin to get braces because they realize, oh, my, my teeth are crooked. So I went to my aunt. And I was like, hey, listen, can I please get braces? Like, I, I wanted everything to fit in. I tried everything to fit in. And she said, you know, Nicholas, um, that's when she got real serious. She called me my first name. You know what, Nicholas? Because Nick's my second name. Um, and you know what, Nicholas? 
you, you, got, you got some Jaguar teeth, but we're not about to pay any money to get anything on them teeth, baby. So you just got to live with it. God made you that way. God bless you. Amen. Bless your heart. So I was like, yes, ma'am. Um, so then... All of a sudden, it was like a fad. I was like, what is going on? They had the, you know, the little bird shirts, and they all got braces, and all these people that I wanted to be like, they had these things on their face called glasses. And I was like, oh, I, I can pull that one off. Like, I can, no, nobody knows that I don't need glasses except for me. So in sixth grade, literally, I, I faked my way to my teachers believing I needed glasses to the point in every single one of my classes, I was in the front row. And not because I was like a good student. No, it's because I was trying to fake my way into getting glasses because that's what it meant to be cool. You wear glasses. Everybody wanted to be Steve Urkel and I had no idea why I wanted to join them. But that's what influence does, right? Um, see, that's why you got to stop vaping. Right? That's the principle of the story. Take that out, please, Chris. Um, so um, I just remember I wanted to, you know, so bad to, to fit in and uh, I faked my way. So one day we were driving. I wasn't driving. I was six, in sixth grade. But my aunt was driving, and I was like, hey, what, what does that sign say over there? You know, she was like, honey, can you not see that? And I'm like, no, ma'am. A lie. No, ma'am. I can't see it at all. And, and uh, she's like, you know, let, let's, go, let's go to the doctor and see what's going on. I was like, all right, yes, ma'am. Okay, okay. Yes, awesome. You know, let's, let's see what's going on. So I go to the eye doctor, and uh, guess what? I fooled the doctor. I, I was like, she's like, read this sign. I was like, MLV. And it was like, one, two, three. I was like, what? She was like, no, baby, you, you are messed up from the floor. Like, we got to get this fixed. So um, sure enough, I got my two plus .0 prescription glasses. I was like, wow. They looked really cool. Like, I can't lie. Like, they looked really cool, um, I thought. And, and I, so I go to school, and, you know, I take them out of my bag in my class. I sit in my front row. I pop them on. I can't see a thing. <laughs> I'm squinting, and my grades are reflecting, and my teacher's like, baby, what's going on? Like, why are you squinting? I was like, maybe it's just habit. Like, the, you know, I was, like, I was trying to find all these excuses. Um, but I couldn't see a thing, and, and I, I wanted so desperately to wear these glasses, and it was so muddy in our lives cannot be like these glasses. When we have been baptized in Christ, when we have been immersed in Christ, when we have put on Christ, people should be able to see us clearly as distinct believers. Like when we gather together, it should be distinctly Christian. When you are communing with your other believers in faith, it should be distinctly Christian because there's a world with worldview and they have glasses on and they should be able to see clearly that you are Christ's period. Amen, baby. Yes. So when we say we've been baptized in Christ, we have to be, have to be clear in that. But not only for people looking at us, but when we've been truly set free in Christ, when we understand, yes, we've been saved, but now there's a putting on of Christ that we must live into, we clearly see that we're not just bad people needing to make good by a good God. Right? We're not just bad people needing to, you know, you know, make, make sure we're not cussing as much and make sure we're not cheating as much or spending too much money on things that are selfish to our hearts. No, it's the reality that we must see that we are dead in our sin and have been raised into Christ. And if you're not a believer, you are dead in your sin and in need of a, of a God that loves you, that wants to breathe life into your dead situation, to your dead heart, because he loves you and he made a way. Because we were at one time children of wrath, Brought low by the law crippling attempt to make anything of ourselves in desperate need of the gospel message of freedom in Christ and Christ alone. That's why Paul could confidently write that our baptism in Christ is where it's at. 
that when we put on Christ, everything that the Lord Jesus is and has becomes ours. Everything that the, the love the Father gives to Christ is our love. Because Christ has full access to the Father in freedom, we have pure access to the Father that's not tainted by religiosity or to-do list or anything. It's, it's, it's purified and paved by the love of God in our lives. That is what we should be rejoicing, and that's how in Christ alone we have freedom. We continue on in verse 26 here. It says, And for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith and daughters implied. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs to the promise. Lately, I've been um, loving to listen to different apologetic, I love apologetic conversations, whether it's a, a Muslim debating a Catholic, a Catholic debating a Christian, um, a pro-Trump versus, you know, not pro-Trump. Like, I just love, like, uh, apologetics when it comes to thought processes. Um, and there's one, one podcast I listen to called Cultish, and Cultish basically takes all of the Christian um, sected uh, religions and compares them to real biblical Christianity. So you have Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, you have um, Scientologists, you have a, a, a revival called the Jonestown Revival that happened that led 900 people um, into death. You have all these conversations. You have people that come on that have been former Scientologists or former whatever their background is that have Christian um, lingo, but they're not Christ-founded. And Paul would write here and he would say, hey, there is, there's something that's happened between the Jews and the Greeks. But let me tell you, there is no distinction in Christ. There's no distinction. And, and the only way that there is distinction if it's not Christ. So it's either all the way Jesus or not at all Jesus. And in Paul's culture, there was a, there was a sharp line of division that arose when it came to the classification of people, um, much like America 2019, right? Um, whether by gender or heritage, enslaved or free. There was a view that Jewish males that were free and older were of much more value and stature, and they, they, they were um, elitist, basically, in the, in, in the culture. And Paul would remind these, these Gentile believers, because Jewish believers would also take hold of this because it was a mixed group of people, and he would say, hey, I know that you think you are this person because of what your culture says, but let me level the playing field at the cross and say you are one. You are one. When we enter in this place, some of you are doctors and you have killed it and you have, you have tons of debt that's been paid off because you worked really hard at your job. But at the foot of the cross, you're one. Some of you are middle schoolers. You and that doctor, y'all, are one in Christ. The cross levels every, every background, every race, every, every, every religious thought you have. I was talking to Pastor Dan the other day, and um, I, I used to be a student pastor before I came um, and was on staff here. And student ministry, even back, um, back in the day, back, back then, was, was really um, different than it is now. And we're just talking about the culture and the temperature of the culture and how people are moving and what's going on and, and the, the, you know, the, the trigger words that get people riled up and the articles and all, all the craziness. And he said this. He said, our culture has a problem. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, tell me, tell me more. Let me lean from the wisdom of the Dan Walsh. She says this, we are a culture of hyper-definition. We hyper-define everything. We, we put an overemphasis on defining and trying to give people value based upon, I mean, you can go on Facebook and you can, you can, you can hyper-define your sexuality. 
You can hyperdefine your race. You can hyperdefine your religion, even your gender, your age. Even on there, I, I saw this girl. She was she was posting, and she was like, "Hey guys, I, I just want you to know, and this lady's 34 years old. I want you to know, I practice age regression in order to deal with my problems." I was like, what's age regression? Exactly what it sounds like. This girl acts like she's 14 years old to cope with who she is. All the while, she needs the hope of the gospel. And, and, and Paul clarifies and he says this. We're one with Christ. No matter your background, no matter your economic status, no matter how long or short your faith walk has been, you are one in Christ. And unfortunately, just as I shared that our culture has hyper-defined things, It's slowly moving itself into the church, and specifically our denomination of Southern Baptists. You're like, wait, you're Southern Baptist? (laughs) But when it it comes to our our denomination, it's it's really heartbreaking to see the hyper-definition of racial racial, um, division in in our culture, right? It's it's heartbreaking. Um, And and I I think I, I had this thought the other day. I was like, oh, I gotta use this. Oh, no, I'm not gonna use it. I'm gonna use it. So, um, Christmas last year, one thing I asked um, was for a 23andMe um, spit test because I think my daddy's my daddy, but I don't know my daddy like that. So I was like, let me just see what I, what I am and what I am not, right? Because um, I want to be able to tell my sons, you are. I'll get there. So I uh, did my 23andMe test. I waited a couple, couple of weeks for it to come back, and I was so excited. I got the email. Ding! I was like, oh, I'm figuring out who I am. It was like this moment, like, I'm like, Open my email as fast as I can. I'm nervous. Got the sweats. What's going on? So I, I opened it, and I didn't know if I was, like, surprised or, like, disappointed or, like, normal. Um, but I read that I am 54% French. I was like, cool. I think. Awesome. Great. And then, wee um, wee. Like, the, the, ne- the next part, I was like, okay, let me see what else I am, you know, because it gives you, you know, um, and then, I, and then I'm 46% Nigerian, brother. Amen. Like Wakanda, I was in it, right? I was, I was doing my thing. And um, that wasn't meant to be racially anything. I just, I can half say it, I guess. I don't know. But um, see, even, even that thought, saying the half saying it, I begin to think in my life, now I know I am too white to go to urban America and do ministry because what the what the church culture is saying now I know I'm 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 not white enough to be able to go to the hoedown I'm just kidding I went I danced you know right <laughs> but but one of those things I, I, I had this this really hard-pressed tension immediately of saying well this is who this is who I am and I was so so heavily convicted as I read this because as, as, as a mixed guy in Southern culture where I grew up where white, if it wasn't white, it wasn't right kind of deal, I've used that as an ammunition in order for me not to do ministry. In order for me to say, you know what, I will never be able to relate to that person. Or for people to get accolades and say, oh, he's the poor mixed kid that has daddy issues. Lord, forgive me. Maybe we've used our statuses or our cultural background and say, you know what, I could never, ever speak to this person. Because our culture is screaming, hey, you are this way, so you act this way. We've allowed intersectionality. Intersectionality means you take a, a, a group of thought or characteristics about a person and you throw it all on this one, one group of people. And you say, you know what, that's, that's how they act. All redheads are fiery. That's, that's, that's an example. And Ms. Teresa's like, yeah, we are. You know, but she's like, no, okay. 
But what I, lo- what I love so much about this is the truth. Is there a need for conversations when it comes to racial reconciliation and the church and our culture? Absolutely. But it has to be founded on the foundation that we're one first. Because the, the minute that you try to take it to another level and never have the foundation there, it's just a conversation. It's just jargon. It's just attempt for the enemy to lead us into sin. May our hearts never get there because the truth is the gospel salve is the only thing that's going to heal that brokenness. The, the gospel changing the heart of a human is the only thing that's going to change the hate of that heart. And I have a brother, um, friend of mine, that he, he has been on tours in, in some places in the Middle East and I've seen some really, really corrupt things when it comes to Middle Eastern Muslims. These, these, these people at one time were enemies of his. And two years ago, he asked, he and his family asked to go to our New York City mission trip. And on that mission trip, our primary focus is to evangelize Middle Eastern Muslims. This man, being a man of war, and valor, and victor, and I'm so thankful for his service, took off all of his privilege and said, you know what? I'm laying that aside because I know these people could be one with me in Christ. That's what the gospel does. It moves our hearts to say, it's not about me. It's about the one that can become one in Christ. People, we need to hear the truth of the gospel, that we are one in Christ. This world needs to hear that we are one in Christ, coupled with reality, that God delights in diversity. He made different pigmentations on purpose. Like, he's the one that can say, it it, it shows a more beautiful picture of who God is when his church looks a little different. When Paul was writing this, there was an aspect of speaking about the culture, but he also was speaking about their spiritual differences. There's a call um, when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus even, that there was one body, one spirit, and, and there's one hope that we're called to in Christ. And we, we're not a um, he, like read the headline, preach it kind of church. I've, I've been and I've experienced those churches. I've, I've heard those churches, but we just try to teach the whole counsel of the word, and this came up, and so I have to, to say it because it's there, and it's an opportunity. We read this um, in the middle of verse 28. It says, there's uh, no slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I've heard this verse be championed and, take, and, and taken way out of its context. What, what, what Paul was writing to the Galatian church here, he's saying, hey, women in your culture you are no more less valuable or more of value than a man in your culture. Christianity, for the first time for these women, elevated them to a status that they have never known before. These women were no longer equal to bond servants. These bond servants were no longer equal to dogs. No, they were equal to Christ, because that's how the Lord looked at them. Now, we do believe at Mercy Hill that there are beautiful biblical gender roles for each man and woman, but I will say We are one in Christ, period. We all come from the same pit, if you are a believer in Christ, that that God reached and he scraped out and, and he said, this is new, this was tar, but now it's human. And now this human is whole because of me. I'm making something beautiful out of this. And we continue on and we read, because of him taking us and calling us heirs and calling us his, 
we can see that we have a promise that we can hold on to. And lastly, point three, in Christ alone, we are adopted. We begin in chapter four. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we, may, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, no, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here we see in this analogy, Paul tries to unfold what it meant for a, a child to become a man. Um, and there was a time that was an appointed by the father for this, for this child to be not recognized as a slave, as we read in verse 1, but as a son, an inheritor of the promise. And we, we look at this, and um, we, we see that there was a, actually bond servants or slaves, men and women, so culturally we have to realize too, we're not talking about slaves that were, that were taken away from the families. These people were voluntarily serving this family in order to either pay off a debt or to have the hopes of adoption. There was always a positive reason for these bond servants. It was always a, hey, I'm wanting to work so I can get out of debt, or this family, going, they're going to actually take me in as a son or, or as a daughter. These are going to be bond servants, and we have to be really careful when we, read the word, when we read the word to understand what it really means. And these families would assign these bond servants to take care of their children. So literally, the, 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 the father and mother would look at this bond servant and say, hey, you are the nanny for, the, for my baby, right? But even more so, you're, you're kind of an equal. So everything that the slave got, the son got. But there was a coming of age where the father said, son, you're now released from being under the law of the bondservant. You're now free to be my son, to now live out and inherit what I've given to you. We look in our, in our own lives it's, it's a beautiful symbolism that we were held captive at one time. And God in his great rich and mercy appointed a date for us to be able to come of age in our spirit, in our heart, whether that's three years old, 33 or 73, to come to age in Christ. And for us to say, that's my inheritance. The father had loved me all before time, sacrificed. He had given me provisions I didn't even know I needed or wanted. And he said, this is yours now. This is yours now. And Paul was reminding these people, you were once imprisoned. You were once imprisoned, but, but, there's a coming of age. He would, he would argue in, in, to the church in Colossae also um, to see that, that no philosophy or empty deception takes their hearts captive. Paul reminded these Galatians, these pagan worshipers, that they were enslaved at one time. I want to ask you and ask myself as we reflect on the text this morning, what have I been enslaved by? And am I so in love with Christ that I hate those things? Or does my heart tend to want to yearn and to prone to wonder? Lord, I feel it. Is it prone, is it prone to leave the God that loves you and provides for you and, and, and has gifted you a coming of age figuratively? I love this too. In verse 4, 4-4, four, four, he says this. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We read that on that blessed Christmas morn. Listen, we're going to talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving. That's my type of people. If you have your Christmas tree up, hallelujah, I love you. Um, Because the celebration of the season, it, it should bring us all the more excitement and fulfillment when we read through this text and we see with clear eyes that God himself appointed a time that was perfect in culture. Right. There was the, the, the peace of Rome had happened. The, 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 the tyranny of Rome was was depleted. And there was opportunity for someone to come Christ in a perfect time. And he says this. That Christ came, he was born and he was under the law. God himself came as the son and he put himself under the law for us to be able to say he gets it. He didn't have to, but in his great love and mercy, he did. He came in the likeness of flesh, and he was also not only crushed for our sins, but he was the fulfillment of sins so that we may be adopted. What a beautiful Christmas gift I rejoice in every December 25th. In Greek, we read the word adoption um, comes from two words, from sons and a placing of. And again, these bond servants even, this is was, this was the most beautiful thing I love um, when, when reading through this and trying to really soak in and lean into the text. These, these slaves that had this hopefulness either to pay off something were nine times out of ten gifted the opportunity to be an adopted son or daughter. These wealthy families would adopt these young slaves, and they would, they would trade their slavery for sonship. They would trade their slavery for sonship. When you traded your slavery, whatever that date was, that time was, that episode, that, that era in your life, when you traded it for, from, from slavery to sonship, those chains fell. Those chains fell. That dead heart that you had began to beat and beat in a rhythm, not of this world, but of the Father. But our hearts love to do this. Hey, the chains are there. And we, we, we love to go, man, those look really good. Those are so tempting. And all while the Father's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? John Piper said this. He said, that the deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is not located in the act of a human adopting a human, which is a beautiful thing. I, I, I'm, I'm pro-adoption, pro-fostering. But he said, but it's in God adopting humans. And what an example we are to the world when we do step into those, those, those hard trench places and bring in strangers into our homes, right? That then become no longer strangers, but sons and daughters, What a beautiful thing. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who are under the law, to set free. Redemption costs. We just celebrated Veterans Day, and the cost of being set free is a beautiful reminder. That's why we celebrate. That's why we say thank you to the vets that are there. But we realize this, that biblically Christ laid down his life, dying the real death, bleeding real blood, and bearing the weight and the curse of sin that should have crushed our very beings on top of him for our right freedom to be called sons and to be adopted. We are now fellow heirs with our Savior Christ. We are now sons and daughters of God. Our identity has been transformed our immersion and our lives should be immersed in that of christ 
But if you have no idea what freedom is, if you have no idea what adoption is like, may I ask you, do you know Christ Jesus? Do you know the freedom of Christ? After every functional Savior you've gone to and ran after, are you willing to turn from that and say, that won't save me? Are you willing to allow the word this morning to reveal that you are a sinner needing the depth and the mercy of grace to wash over your heart? To give you a new name, a new spirit, a beating heart. And brother and sister in the room, believer, let us be reminded that we are called to freedom. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from self-servantness. Freedom of anything that will hinder us to not look like Christ. Brother, sister, are you one with your fellow believers? Do you want to be one with those that aren't in the faith? Does it move your heart to say, you know what, my, my, my lost stepfather that abused me from the time I was 11 until I was 15, do I want him to know the gospel? That's my story. Christmas of 2011, I called my stepfather. I had a conversation with him, said I forgave him, whole nine offered Christ, had the gospel conversation. His answer was no. But in that moment, I knew God was just calling me to faithfulness. He was calling me to pure faithfulness. I've been set free. I'm immersed with Christ. I must go to those, my enemies, people that have hurt me, and hold no prejudice towards them. And lastly, Be reminded that you are adopted, once a slave. That should make our heart rejoice and should change everything that we do again. Sometimes the word just kind of needs to like dust the the dust off of our eyes to realize, wow, I'm living with myself. I'm living and being a victim of my daddy issues. When all the while the father says, no, baby, I've taken care of them. I am the one. I am the father. And being, being a guy that do, do, did, did, does ish, have issues, you know, whatever, I, I know what it is like all the more to understand the love of the father with my sons. I have no foundation of, of you know, fatherhoodness in my life, but I do have the foundation now of Christ allowing me to be entered in and be called a son and have a heavenly father that loves me, wants the best for me, and has given me a beautiful list of commandments and rules in order for his love for me to be made known in my life. And my sons, they have a father that has the father. Let's pray together.